Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn with me again to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 21. And there the Apostle Paul writes these words, For to me to live is Christ. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, what are you living for? You know, people today live for all kinds of things, don't they? Some live for pleasure. Others live to make a name and reputation for themselves. Still others live for money and the things that money can buy, a house, a vacation, a new car. But what about you? What are you living for? What gives you meaning and purpose in life? Well, the Apostle Paul had an answer to that question. For him, what gave meaning and purpose in life was not a thing, but a person. And that person was Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. In the original Greek, the verb is, is supplied. That means it's not actually in the original. So literally, Paul writes, for to me, to live Christ. So Paul here declares that for him, to live is Christ. Now what exactly does that mean? And what can we learn from this? That's what we hope to consider in our sermon today. With the help of the Lord, we want to consider the words of our text under the theme, Christ the life of the believer. And we'll consider three thoughts. First of all, the requirement of this life. Secondly, the evidence of this life. And thirdly, the benefits of this life. Paul writes, For to me to live is Christ. Now these words are closely connected to the preceding verse, verse 20. And that's indicated by that little word for, which is a connecting word. Connects verse 20 and verse 21. Well, in verse 20, Paul writes, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Now what does Paul mean by this? Well, remember the context. Paul wrote this letter while he was under house arrest in Rome. And he knew that at any time he might be summoned to go on trial before the emperor. And what the outcome of this trial would be, he did not know. But one thing he did know, that whether he lived or died, he would, through the prayers of the Philippians and the grace of the Holy Spirit, be able to give a clear and confident testimony of his faith and trust in Christ, and in this way 
to magnify him. Now you'll notice that Paul says he is even willing to die if necessary. Now at first glance, that may seem a little bit strange. It's not natural for people to be willing to die. We were created to live, not to die. But not Paul. Paul was willing to die if it meant that Christ would be magnified. Now why is that? How does Paul explain his willingness to die? Well, he tells us in the next verse. For to me to live is Christ. Now in making this statement, Paul is contrasting what he thinks about what it means to live compared to what others think. It's like he's saying, whatever others may say, for me to live is Christ. Now, who does Paul have in mind here? It's not clear. Paul doesn't say in so many words. But we do know that during the time in which Paul lived, there were many views of the purpose of life. Most of the Greek philosophers taught that the purpose of life was to attain what they called eudaimonia, which roughly translated means happiness or welfare or living well. But the various schools of philosophy differed as to how this could be attained. For example, the cynics taught that the key to happiness was to become completely self-sufficient and self-reliant. The Stoics taught that the key to happiness was to live a morally virtuous life. Whereas the Epicureans taught that the key to happiness was to pursue after pleasure and minimize pain. But the goal of all three of these schools of philosophy was the same. It was eudaimonia, living well. Well, as an educated man, the Apostle Paul was very familiar with these schools of thought. He had probably even read their writings. But he disagreed with all of them. Why? Because none of these other views included Christ. In fact, they completely ignored him. All these other views, all these other worldviews, these philosophies, sought for meaning and purpose in life, in this life. But Paul says no. Over and against the views of the great Greek philosophers, Paul declares without apology or reservation, for me to live is Christ. What does he mean by that? Well, when Paul says to live is Christ, he means Christ is everything to him. Christ is the sum and substance and the center of his life. The Puritan Thomas Watson paraphrases Paul as saying thus, Christ is my life, my life is made up of Christ. In other words, Christ gave Paul's life meaning and purpose. Christ was the essence of his being. He was the heart and center of who he is. He lived for nothing and no one else. Watson writes, As a wicked man's life is made up of sin, so Paul's life was made up of Christ. 
He was full of Christ. Now admittedly, this was not always true for the Apostle Paul. There was a time before his conversion when Christ was not at all the center of his life. We read about that in Acts chapter 7 through 9. There we read that after accusing Stephen of blasphemy, the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of Saul, who Luke says consented to his death and then proceeded to stone him. Following this, Luke says that Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. At one point he went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that he might bring believers there bound to Jerusalem, which the high priest also gave him. But we read that as Saul made his way to Damascus, that suddenly a light shone round about him from heaven, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it was the voice of the Lord Jesus himself, the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus himself had confronted Saul on the road to Damascus and stunned Saul asked, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord told him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And for three days Saul was completely blind and he neither ate nor drank. And at the end of these three days, the Lord sent a believer by the name of Ananias, and he told him to go to Saul and to restore his sight and to tell him that God had chosen him to bear his name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And that's exactly what he did. And from that day forward, Paul was a changed man. Christ became Paul's life. And he went out and immediately began to preach Christ, and went on to become the apostle of the Gentiles, planting churches all over Asia Minor and Greece. Now Paul, years later, (coughs) reflecting on this change, speaks of it in Galatians 2, verse 20. And he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul here declares that when Christ was crucified, he, that is his old self, his sinful nature, was crucified with him. Not actually, of course, but spiritually by virtue of his union with him. He was for all intents and purposes dead, dead to self, dead to the world, dead to sin. And at the same time, he was alive in Christ. Christ lived in him. Christ was Paul's life. What was true for Paul is true for every believer in Christ. In Colossians 3 verse 3, Paul writes to the Colossians, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul declares here that the Colossians have, and by extension all believers, they've died, not physically, but spiritually. Spiritually they were dead to sin and to the world, but alive to Christ. In fact, he says their life is hid with Christ. Their life was so wrapped up in Christ that it's as though they no longer lived, but Christ lived in them. 
We have a good illustration of this in the parable of the vine and the branches in John chapter 15. Just as the branches receive their life-giving, fruit-producing sap from the vine, so believers in Christ receive their spiritual life from Him. The branches live not in themselves, but in Christ. The great American preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards once wrote, Christ lives and dwells in the heart of every believer. Yea, Christ is the very life of the Christian. He dwells in him as his life, as the vital heart and spirit. Seated in the heart is the life of the body. So Christ is spiritually the life of the soul as vital heart and enlivening spirit seated therein. I love to think of coming to Christ to receive salvation of Him, poor in spirit and quite empty of self, humbly exalting Him alone, cut off entirely from my own root in order to grow into and out of Christ, to have God in Christ be my all in all. The point is, in order to have Christ as our life, we ourselves must die. We must die to self. We must die to the world. We must die to our sins. We must die. And that, dear friends, is not our work. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts, He changes us from the inside out. He makes us new creatures in Christ. He creates within us a new nature, one that hates sin and loves righteousness, one that no longer wishes to live for self, but for God and for His glory. Now that work will never be completed in this life. So long as we live, we will have to contend with our old nature. There will always be this tendency to live for self rather than for Christ. But when the Holy Spirit is at work, there will be a striving for this. There will be a striving to put sin and self to death and to live for Christ in all things until the day that the Lord comes again when all striving will cease And we will be perfect even as he is perfect. Well, let me ask you today, has that change taken place in your life? Is there at least a beginning of that change? No, we don't all need to have a sudden and dramatic conversion experience like the Apostle Paul. Most of us come to Christ in a far more gradual way, at least those who are born in the bosom of the church and who are exposed to the gospel from the time that they're very young But nonetheless, a change must take place. We must all die to self and come alive to Christ. And if we do not, then we will perish in our sins. Oh, my friends, can you speak of this? Are you alive in Christ today? If so, then then that must evident itself in your life. And that brings us to our second point. If you claim to have Christ as your life, that that must be manifest in your life, as it was also in the life of the Apostle Paul. Now you say, how was it manifest in his life? What are the evidences of having Christ as our life? Well, there are so many of them. I'll just limit myself to three. First of all, when we have Christ as our life, then we will rest in the work of Christ. Paul expresses that so powerfully in Philippians 3, verses 4 to 9. There Paul lists all the things that he once thought could earn him the favor of God. He mentions, for example, that he was circumcised the eighth day, that he was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. 
Concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But then as he added up all of his supposed virtues, he came to the conclusion that they did not count for anything. In fact, he writes, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed also I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So Paul realized that all of his righteousnesses were as filthy rags before the Lord. They didn't count for anything towards his salvation. They were as useless as rubbish. The King James has dung, useless as human excrement. Why? Because everything that he did was tainted by sin. And as such, it was completely unacceptable to a holy and a righteous God who demands perfect obedience and perfect righteousness from every one of his creatures. And the only one capable of producing such obedience and righteousness was the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. And therefore, Paul came to rest completely in his atoning work. And in that sense... Christ was his life. Now, my friends, is that true of you today? Have you come to see that all of your righteousnesses are as filthy rags before the Lord and that you are resting wholly and completely on the work of Christ? If that is true for you, then Christ is your life. But secondly, when we have Christ as our life, then we will pursue after the knowledge of Christ and seek deeper communion with Christ. Paul expresses that same aim in Philippians 3, verse 10. There, after declaring in verse 9 that he had suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, that he might gain Christ and be found in him, Paul declares in verse 10 his desire to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Yes, Paul's aim in life was to know Christ. And the knowledge that he has in mind here is not a mere intellectual knowledge. He did not simply want to know about Christ. He wanted to know Christ. He wanted to know Christ himself. He wanted not only to know about his work, he wanted to know his person. And what is more, he wanted to know him in a deeply personal and experiential way. He wanted to know Christ as a husband knows his wife and as a wife knows her husband. And why is that? Well, because Paul was deeply in love with Christ. You're deeply in love with someone. You want to get to know them. You want to find out everything you can about them. And so it is for every believer. Every believer is in love with Jesus Christ. And as such, they want to spend time with him, communing with him. They want to read his word and spend time in prayer. They want to be in church at every available opportunity, whenever the word of God is being proclaimed and whenever the people of God are gathered together. In fact, they will allow nothing to stand in the way of this. This will be their first and number one priority in life. They will, like Mary, be continually sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus. 
Well, my friends, is that true for you today? Do you desire to know Christ and to commune with Him? Then Christ is your life. Thirdly, when we have Christ as our life, then we will do what He says. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. You notice we prove that we love Christ by keeping His commandments. Conversely, those who do not keep His commandments do not love Christ, despite what they may claim. The person whose life is bound up with the life of Christ keeps his commandments. He does whatever Jesus commands him to do, whatever the cost. Now, was that not also true for the Apostle Paul? When our Lord confronted him on the road to Damascus, what did Paul ask? He said, Lord, what will you have me to do? The sight of the risen and exalted Christ stripped Paul of all of his selfishness and self-centeredness. Rather than serve self, Paul sought to serve Christ. From that day forward, he became a servant of Christ. And he paid the price. Oh, how much Paul suffered for the cause of Christ. He was beaten, flogged, imprisoned, shipwrecked, stoned to death. Eventually he died as a martyr. He gave his life to Christ just as Christ gave his life to him. And in that sense too, Christ was his life. Well, my friends, is that true for you today? Are you striving to keep all the commandments of the Lord? Are you living for him and for his glory? If so, then Christ is your life. Now to be sure, not all of, the, all of us possess the, these evidences to the same degree. Even the holiest of God's children have only a small beginning of these things. And we fail to live up to what we ought to be time and time again. But friends, is there at least a beginning? Is there at least a striving? If not, then you cannot claim to have Christ as your life. Now maybe somebody says, well, why should I seek my life in Christ in the first place? I will tell you because of its many benefits. And that brings me to my third and final point. Yes, there are many benefits to living to Christ. I will mention only two. First of all, when we live to Christ, we have meaning and purpose. There are many people today who say that there is no meaning and purpose in life. And they do not know why they are here. And consequently, many live out, of the, live out their lives utterly aimlessly, or they end them prematurely. But not so for the believer. The believer knows why he is here. It is to live for Christ. And it's for this end that he expends all of his energy. This is his goal. This is his desire. It is to see Christ magnified in every area of his life. And that gives us meaning and purpose, doesn't it? That enables us to get out of bed in the morning and go to work. It enables us to get through the trials and hardships of life. It enables us to live as salt and light in this sinful world. 
If we have Christ as our life, we have something to live for. Even if we are sick and disabled and on our deathbed. Consequently, if we do not have Christ as our life, we have nothing to live for. Christ gives meaning and purpose to life. Secondly, when we live to Christ, we live better and more fully. There are only two options in life. We either live to Christ or we live to the devil. Now, of the two, which do you think is superior? Well, the answer is obvious, living to Christ. That is superior in every way. Commenting on this, Jonathan Edwards writes this, and I quote, How vast is the difference between the man of this world and the true Christian. The one in the whole of his life has his soul chiefly set upon heaven and on the glories of Christ there, having his mind lifted above the ground by faith. The other spends his days in groveling in the dirt, makes his mind much like a mole or a muckworm, feeding on dirt and dung, and seldom lifts his mind any higher than the surface of the earth he treads on. Such a vast difference there is between a true Christian and a Christless person. And what Jonathan Edwards says is absolutely true. And if this is true, then how can anyone live without Christ? How can anyone live for the world and the devil? My friend, it is utter madness. To live for Christ is life. To live for the devil is death. And therefore, if you are living for the devil, I urge you, I plead with you to repent. There's only one way to live, my friend, and there's only one way to die. It is to live for Christ and to die for Christ and Christ alone. That was true for the Apostle Paul. For him to live was Christ. What is life to you? Who or what are you living for today? If I handed out a sheet of paper with the words, for me to live is blank, what would you fill in the blank? What are you living for? Is it money, a house, a car, appearance, clothing, friends, Popularity, career advancement, men's good opinion, pleasure, sports, entertainment, trips and vacations, my family, my children, my friends. But dear friends, this verse serves as a decisive indicator of the state of our hearts before God. Oh, may God grant that we all may say in truth with the Apostle Paul that for me to live is Christ. And may that also manifest itself in our lives for those who have Christ as their life have everything and they will enjoy that life to an everlasting eternity. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. 
If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.